I feel like we should probably warn everybody that uh, next week is the Daylight Savings Monster in the U.S. And it's going to mess with everybody's lifetime. It's already happening. That's one of the reasons why we don't have many folks here today is it's already happened across the pond. They're all screwed up. Yep. I, yes, I, we are. I still blame George W. Bush for this. Yep. It was really Bush's fault. And now it's all – it's totally – ever since he did that, it's screwed with my live shows around this time of year. So next Sunday, the 5th at 2 a.m. in the U.S., we switch. So now it's going to mess with LAN. But since LAN isn't live <laughs> – No big deal. Yeah. See, if we just had that one Linux-based world government uh, – Yeah, right. It could all just be Unix time. Would, Would that be, be the Linux Foundation? Yeah, I guess so. Mm. They're going to have to mer- you know, change from a – Sort of foundation to government agency, but let's, let's let's put a pin in that idea, Wes. This is Linux Unplugged, episode two hundred and twenty-one for October thirty-first, ooh, two thousand seventeen. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's still in a reinstall fugue state. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Beard. Mm, burgers. Yeah, we all have <laughs> yeah, a little. Too. We have some burger pleasantry going on right now, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to talk about burgers, at least, at least not yet. No, we have a really great show lined up for you today. Very excited about today's program for a couple of reasons. We have two guests coming on. Uh, Didrox, who posted all of the uh, Ubuntu GNOME journey posts for the seventeen ten release cycle, shares some insights, including an anecdote. That occurred just before, just before 1710 went live. That hasn't been posted anywhere because they're all too exhausted. And if you think that those final ISOs are final, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. <gasps> so it's an interesting anecdote. We'll get to that. And then Will Cook, the Ubuntu desktop manager, joins us. And I got a couple of hard questions for him. Um, specifically, I want to know if them dropping Unity sort of takes away some of their strategic advantage of controlling their own desktop. And... I ask him if Canonical's goals with Snaps are going to impact their relationship with GNOME, which obviously they are very dependent on now. And I, I'm just curious how he sees that relationship. So those, those amongst other questions, we'll cook answers in just a little bit in the show. But of course, we have a whole bunch of community news to get into. And we have a, um, I'll say a, a humble virtual look today. Uh, uh, hello, Mumble Room. Uh, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Good day. Hello, robot arms. So we have a couple of guys, which actually, the best guys. We have the best people, I'm told. People tell me. These are the best. So we have much to get into today, but I wanted to take a moment and share my fugue state of reinstalling computers with you just for a moment. I've gone full maniac. I haven't been on a tear like this in years. And it's really morphed into something perverted that's going to give me... People are going to give me crap. I'm going to tell you guys something in in, in just because... It's content. Yeah, sit down if you need to. Uh, be prepared. Please go gentle on me when I tell you this. Please. But I have, to, I have to be honest with you. I have been installing Ubuntu 16.04 like crazy. Did, on, did on, Noah make you do this? Like, no, what's fact, happening here? He and I have almost swapped positions again. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny how, and totally unrelated. <laughs> he and I just had a conversation about this. Um, I had a, you know, I just had a, I had a, I kind of, I had a come to Linus moment where I was sitting here in the studio getting ready to reload the next machine. And you'll understand more after my interview with Will Cook, by the way. I, this, this will give you some of the insights as to why I've made my decision. But I decided after evaluating GNOME, Plasma, Mate, or Mate, and Unity 7 for the studio, where we have some high DPI requirements and on, we have some touchscreen requirements and don't, 
um, I, I, I evaluated those desktops to see if they could – who would be the best one. In fact, I didn't even intend to evaluate Unity. It just sort of happened by mistake. I never even gave any consideration. It's just one of the systems happened to have it on there. And after trying all these desktops for production – I know you guys get sick of hearing this, but I'm just – I decided that don't, – don't give me shit, but it's actually Unity 7. It's ironically Unity 7. It's the most stable. It seems to perform the best under load. And uh, it has polish in areas that, that matter to me. I'm not saying it's better than GNOME. But I am saying that for areas that matter to me, it's better than GNOME. And so I'll give you a couple examples. Um, multi-monitor support is, is still better in Unity. Well, guess what we use a lot here in the studio. Uh, I, I still prefer the uh, way that they handle the, the launcher. I still prefer that, that system, that, that, that super key system, and instead of the way that GNOME implements it. It's not a big difference, but I do prefer it. There's other, there's other things, though, that are like uh, rough edges that have been rounded off by Unity where you can tell that a lot of thought... It's, it's ironically, in some ways, a lot like when I use elementary OS. You are, hmm. you are struck with, uh, and, you, and, and maybe Dan could talk about this a bit, but you are struck with, um, shit, somebody thought of that. Somebody, somebody actually thought of that and solved that problem for me. And when you hit, when that hits you a few times, you're like, "Oh man, this is there is a there is something else going on here that I've missed." Uh, and I don't know, Dan, if you want to expand upon the point of where sometimes some projects are willing to spend. I would assume you tell me if I'm wrong. A hell of a lot of time on something a lot of other people might not even consider important. Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes from just dog fooding and obsessive perfectionism. Huh. Just hating yourself enough to, to sit through it and, you <laughs> that know, is a good way to put it. And, um, I mean, you grinding know, the, your way we, through it and punishing yourself as you just keep working away at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember the, the first versions of unity were awful, you know? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. it, the same thing for any software, I think the yeah. first versions are like, this is what we assume is going to be good. And then they're terrible. And then it's, you know, you, you grind through it and you yeah. iterate on it and you go, okay, this is what we learned and right. changed. And, you know, and that's really you know that's been happening to the plasma desktop and GNOME too. Like they've all been going through iterative releases where they've been getting better and better. I I switched over full time to GNOME three when three uh, dot twelve was sort of the main release, and I think every release since then has been getting progressively better. And I was very excited about GNOME three for a long time, and I never switched away from Unity because of GNOME three. I didn't switch away because of right. because of that. I switched away from Unity because I switched to Arch. And with that, I switched to GNOME. And I was excited by the idea of a polished desktop for all distributions. That's really what fired me up about GNOME. Coming back to now, now I have a different mindset. In the studio, these are not machines that I use to enjoy. I don't use these to play. Like, I don't really play a lot of video games, but I do play with my computer a lot. Mm-hmm. And these are not computers I play with. So it doesn't matter if they're appliances. And so when I sat down to, to load 1710 with the new GNOME 3 desktop, I said, well, okay, what, what, what is 1710 giving me that 1604 doesn't? Because we've already got a 1604 machine in production that has been rock solid. And Beard and I looked up the packages that we need, and we didn't see any. All the software we needed is available. Wow. Yeah. And it, it struck me, this is not the same path it was back when you, in 1404, or 1204. 1204 especially. Yeah. The LTS as your desktop now is much more doable. Every single package I wanted was available for 1604 without... I used to come on air and say, Ubuntu LTS desktops are the hardest distro to install software on because after about a year and a half, nobody makes software for it anymore and all your PPAs break. Everybody's making software for it now. 
Every every single app that I've installed via a deb was all available for 1604 or snaps, and uh, including OBS and FFmpeg versions that we used to not be able to get. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a different it's just a different landscape now, and so. I I just kind of made like this business decision that I was going to deploy 1604 and just I got six months until the next LTS comes out if I want. And then I made the once I made that decision, I made the part that, I'm, that I've actually been building to because I know we've been talking a lot about Ubuntu. This is kind of the last big episode on it um, for a while. And I, I decided if I'm going to be practical and be all businesslike with my machines and go 1604, why not also experiment with deploying Ubuntu's product or Canonical's product called Landscape? Now, Landscape is sort of a central management platform where you can also do inventory, package management, user management, script management, performance monitoring, um, all of these things across all your machines from one central place. And uh, you get like 100 credits for free for the first 60 days or something like that. And I think it works out depending on which tier you get. It works out to be about $5 a month. And if you're watching the video version right now, I have got uh, my landscape account up on the screen. I've got five machines registered. These, this is the tear I've been on recently is these five. And uh, you can see just by a quick glance that I have two outstanding alerts over these five machines. One computer has upgrade packages available, and one computer has been upgraded but needs to be rebooted. Eh, that's not too bad. But there's some things that are actually really quite neat about it. One thing is the performance monitoring. So I can pull up graphs across all of our studio systems, and I can see if one system is under a quite a bit more load than the other system. I can see at what times that is, like if it's show times or if it's non-show times, memory usage, swap usage, temperatures for the uh, storage and for the uh, 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 hardware. And any of this can be downloaded as a CSV. And I can, I can zoom in and just look at one machine for any of this information, or I can get all of the machines, which is the, which is the screen we're looking at right now if you're watching the video version. Additionally, like I said, it also kind of has like an inventory management aspect to it. So I can click in and get the hardware information. So you can see here's the Precision 7720 that I'm using at the uh, Lady Jupe's office, quote-unquote, which is a chair. And <laughs> it has Ubuntu 16043 on it. It's got the uh, Xeon uh, E3-1535M6 processors in it, 64 gigabytes of RAM. You know, it gives you the whole hardware spec, any kind of technician notes that are on it. You can change its power state or schedule a reboot, change which groups it are, it is in. You can go in even further and get uh, more detailed things like serial numbers and bio states and MAC addresses and all the things you would get from an inventory management system, as well as monitoring and alerting if there's an outage, which is great. And of course, the thing that I really signed up for is, and this this has just been really nice for me, is package management. And they, they break it out in a way that is easy to read. So like, here's the cracklib-runtime. And instead of some complicated CVE thing, it's just runtime support for password checker library. It gives... It gives me real English descriptions of what these vulnerabilities are. And so I, I – and then if I expand it, I get all the CVEs. I get everything. But I am able to make a, like an educated decision if that's worth me interrupting one of our production systems. And uh, I've been using this. I don't know if I'm going to keep it once um, – you know, I'm going to keep – I don't know. I don't know if I'll keep it once my 100 credits runs out. If, it, if I find it makes it easier for us to do IT in the studio, which is kind of always a time suck for either the beard or myself, um, I think I'd do it. You also get alerts, so you can see I've got one computer that has the packages, uh, one computer that needs to be rebooted, and I could issue that reboot um, from here, of course. So I, I can, I'll go ahead and I'll issue the reboot command to the uh, precision. That's nice. Yeah, and I can just say restart as soon as possible. And machines that need to be restarted also get a little icon next to their name, a little like uh, oh, yeah, it's a little icon. Yeah. 
And so that's what I've been playing with since our last episode. I know it's sort of, I, I've explained it before. This show is sort of like the Deep Space Nine of of uh, Linux podcasts, where sometimes we have continuing story arcs that we keep going back on. And this has been one of them. And um, I think my takeaway from it is uh, uh, I forgot. I forgot how much I liked Unity. And I've never been a Unity hater, so it's not like I'm reversing some position <laughs> I've taken, but I haven't been a Unity user. And I've been maybe a Unity denier. Like, I just pretend like it doesn't exist. Like, I did, like when we were first evaluating desktops, I didn't even consider Unity. Like, it didn't even come... Because it's that thing that only Ubuntu has. Right, yeah. So you don't really think of it as the first class. No. Know, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, but I'm going to install Ubuntu. Oh. And stay tuned for the interview with Will Cook, because you'll see why it may actually work out to be a really great long-term bet here in a little bit. Uh, did you have anything? You looked like you had something you were pontificating on over there. Are you just dreading us formatting the last of these machines? I'm dreading having to support Unity, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you won't have to. Well, you'll love that comp is window effects. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Well, in the meantime, um, the media is continuing their freakout. Yes, I said the media is continuing their freakout about Cody. I don't know why it's Cody. That's the, that's the thing they hate. And I, Well, I do have a theory, but I am really worried here because if you read this story, and this is... This is unfortunate. Uh, Brian Barrett over at Wired, and I generally like Wired stuff, uh, just did a real hit piece against Cody. But it's actually, it's an indictment of open source. And that's what concerns me, is you could remove Cody and you could put a lot of other project names in the spaces and have the same damn problems. Even desktop distros. So uh, here's its start. I mean, it starts with a vengeance. The Cody box pitch is hard to resist. A little black plastic square. Not much different than a Roku or an Apple TV, and similar in function as well. This streamer, though, offers something those others never will. Free access to practically any show or movie you can dream of. No rental fees, no subscriptions. Just type in the name of a blockbuster and start watching in high-definition streams in seconds. What are we doing here? Let's just I do know. that. We don't need to do this whole podcast Damn. thing. Damn. And of course, if I'm a, if I'm an industry executive reading that in Wired, I just poop myself a yep. little bit. Oh, yeah. That or I'm the one writing this. Uh, but I won't uh, I won't despair the author here. Uh, he goes on. He makes he does write some interesting history about Cody and the XBMC connection, if you're curious, and, and does mention a few things here and there, but gets a few stingers in that really is the part that I go, oh, God, this could be any open source project. Like any open source ecosystem, Cody contains multitudes. There are the Cody media player itself. There's the TV add-ons and other developer communities. And there are the plugins that scrape the internet for pirated material. Those are what transformed Cody into the modern-day pirate's favorite ship. It's a bit of a wild wow. west. Cody's open source. Anyone can take that software and put any piece and put it on any hardware. And the industry has thrived, too, because it's managed to stay relatively underground, at least in the U.S. Which is funny, because if you look at statistics for torrent downloads, they've gone from, like, damn near 30% of internet traffic to, like, 5% of internet traffic. So torrent piracy is way down. And that's what these plugins do, is they're torrent plugins that are capable of ordering the torrent in a way that lets them stream in real time. That's what these plugins are doing. Um, and if you, you have to do it that way, because if you just did HTTP streams, you get shut down immediately. And um, you could say that Ubuntu Mate is a enabler of uh, terrorist activities because maybe they used Ubuntu Mate to plan a terrorist attack. This, this is a really, really slippery slope. And um, 
the Cody Project has had, at least here in the U.S., has had to make a really interesting response to cover their own asses because they're becoming the the poster child. The the, the context here is this story I'm covering for you is, is damn near a weekly story, if not at least a twice-a-month story. And I covered it a long time ago on the show, and I decided to cover it again to illustrate to you that it's a problem that is not going away. And I'm I am a bit concerned about this, to tell you the truth. And... Um, the Cody Project has had to respond in a way that I don't like, and I can't see how they could have handled this any other way. And the um, the, the thing that sucks is I could see other open source projects having to do the same thing. Well, first of all, they got to get all business like, then they have to lawyer up, and then they have to go sue the shit at anybody that sells anything that says Cody that isn't just straight vanilla build from the project's website, because that then they can tell the courts. But look, we're trying to fight this. We're trying to go after these guys because our pure Cody project doesn't have these plugins. So we're going after them. But of course, all it, it, this is this is a short term play because they're just stopped putting Cody in the name. Here's a quote from the uh, Cody project or I guess the Cody company. We're basically taking the stance that if you use the word Cody to mean something other than the vanilla software we release, if you pre-install add ons or something like that, that means you're no longer shipping Cody and we consider it a trademark violation. Uh, that's, he goes on to comment, that sort of worked. We've been able to get a bunch of sellers off eBay and Amazon that way. Ah, <sighs> oh, man. I mean, you could, I mean, legitimately, W get could be put in this position. This is bad. And, uh, I, I, what it feels like to me when I read Brian's post here, and I'm sure Brian Barrett is not a tool of the, uh, copyright industrial complex, but when I read this post, it feels like media executives that are super worried about their fiefdoms being torn down by this internet thing. And so they've got to start casting shade as much as possible and delegitimizing these things and getting people to go into the grooves that are Roku, Apple TV, and the things that are built to sell you content that is DRM'd and licensed. And this is part of the strategy. And the reason why it's in Wired is because it's appealing to the geek audience with this one. And that's also why you have the back history of XBMC. Mm -hmm. It's it's appealing to the geeks. You got to get all the demos. You got to get the executives. You got to get the geeks. You got to get all the demos. Make sure you really get this this whole thing locked down. And I worry about the Cody project. So I have a link in the show notes if you want to read the whole thing because I did just give you some of the highlights. And I hate to see it happen to Cody. And I hate to see them have to become super litigious because of it. This is a... Uh, yeah, it creates a bad culture for everyone who's involved instead of just being like, hey, Cody's awesome and it's a great, useful, open source project. You want to talk about something positive to... Oh, please. Yeah, just to sort of... If you if, Do you have any? I don't have any. New flat pack. Oh, new, new flat pack. Does it come itself in a flat pack? How does that work? Well, the flat pack may be getting a little flatter and easier for people to oh. understand or stable. Um, so this is uh, we got we got two things actually. It's kind of neat. You're going to have flat pack zero dot ten, which is going to be like a we won't call it LTS, but it's going to be the stable series of flat pack, the zero dot ten. Okay. And then you're going to have the fancy zero dot eleven, which will get all the new features, all the new oh, fancy shiny. stuff. Yeah. So zero dot ten. Uh, the first one is going to be the first in a release of new uh, in a series of new releases that are stable. New features will all be added to the 0.11 branch and bug fixes will be backported to the 0.10 branch, which seems like a great way to put something in production, but keep improving on it. And then maybe all those accumulate to like a 0.12 and you start having like a kernel versioning system. It's kind of uh, impressive that they're already doing this sort of like a lot of projects takes a long time for them to get like a real development release workflow, mm-hmm. but they're still at the, you know, they're not even at, like a real full release yet, and yet they're they're doing this well. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, we saw recently that the Mint Project is going in with uh, flat packs because they kind of like the more PPA, run your own repo uh, solution than the centralized store solution. Mm-hmm. And you can see how there could be different advantages to both. Um, and meanwhile, the folks over at Elementary OS have pu- published an update on the state of the App Center. So we had Dan on the show. Daniel, when did I mean, was it how long ago did you guys did you come on the show to talk about the App Center? It was we did a special ages ago. Oh, I think oh, I think it was maybe six months. I can't remember. Yeah, six months. And yeah. um, uh, now you guys have got over fifty apps, and they're looking good. So what's going on with the App Center? How are things? Yeah, it's going pretty well. Um, like you said, it's been about six months, and we have uh, over fifty apps now. Actually, as of this morning, we have fifty-eight apps. Oh yeah, in there. Wow. Woohoo! So yeah, I- I'm pretty excited about it. There's there's all kinds of cool stuff in there. That, I mean, things that I never expected people to write. It's been really awesome to see like an explosion of native apps. Like they're not web apps or or cross platform ports or anything like that. They're all GTK high DPI ready and oh. it's pretty sweet. Looking good on the desktop on the desktop too. Um, so are you uh, are you are you talking all talking at all about any kind of the uh, money that's been made or if it's profitable at all or anything like that? Um, I mean, I could I could give you some like little stats here and there. Um, I. I I want to be careful because there's people's sure. privacy in question, yeah, right? And it's like, new. I don't want to Everything's just, like, still new. Bust somebody out on how much money they make. But um, I, I can tell you that um, nobody's making a living right now. It's still in the realm of like beer money. Um, one of the developers told me uh, it's enough that I could take my wife out to dinner. That's nice. I mean, that's so, a really great. That's yeah. from going from zero to that is really great. Yeah. So, you know, it, like you said, it's going from zero to, to something is, you know, it's an improvement, but we, we, you know, we still have a long way to go. Like our eventual goal is that we do want people to make a living. So we've been talking to different people about, um, you know, the kind of the problems that they have or what would encourage them to um, pay more. Uh, I know a lot of people want a flow for them to be able to pay later. So they want to be able to download for free at first and then come back and pay. And the store isn't really good at handling that right now. You'd have to like uninstall and re-download. Okay, yeah, that seems so, like that seems like sort of that seems like a sort of a, a problem that other app stores struggle with. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's something that we can be better at. You know, I was wondering as an end user, um, what are my expectations for when like uh, like uh, changes come to the app center? Is it is that a release based thing? Like new releases of Elementary OS will have new App Center updates with features, or is it something that's updated separately of the main OS release? And we're releasing updates all the time. We don't freeze application updates at all. Um, even for all our apps, mm. even like we, we post uh, a blog post every month where we talk about the updates we've made. And um, our, our average right now is that um, the average App Center app has received around five updates in the last six months. Gosh, you guys are doing great. Wow. Really. These are some good stuff here. Uh, so I also noticed that it seemed like there was some interest in the App Center uh, by uh, System76. Yeah. So one of the things that um, we kind of set out to do when we built App Center is making sure that we were using all of open standards. And so that's awesome for System76 because since we use PackageKit and we use AppStream for our metadata, they can use our client in Pop! OS and just do some branding work. And they really like the way that it works. So they can really benefit as a downstream from this work. Cool. So they're essentially able to, I guess, white label it, in, in other words, and uh, make it System76 or Pop! OS branded. Yeah, so they've got a couple of little tweaks in there, and we've been talking to them about uh, how we can upstream some of their changes, maybe. Cool. Um, but 
I, I guess the major difference between their, they're calling it pop shop. Um, the major difference between pop shop and app center is that um, they aren't using our app center repository. So it's kind of just um, a front end for the Ubuntu repositories instead of uh, our app center repository. I'm going to be really curious to see. I want to play with that because it's probably a better experience than GNOME software. All love to GNOME software. You guys are doing great. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've also played with app center and I found it to be a, I don't know, a better experience, I, I would put it. Um, well, good for them. And I wonder if we might see other distributions take that on too. I think that's a great idea. So I'm looking at the post. I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, anything else you want to call out about the six-month anniversary? Um, just definitely that if you have an idea for an app, uh, you know, or you want to get involved with either the front end of App Center or the back end of the App Center dashboard, it's written in Node.js. It's all open source. Like, we'd love for you to be part of this ecosystem. And, and there's you know, tons of different ways that you could fit into it. Definitely. And um, I'm glad to see progress in like the right directions on some of several fronts on this. Uh, you're right. I, and just to reiterate, you said it, but it's awesome. I mean, it's not just a, like 50, 50 more, more than 50 apps hit an app center. It's 50 apps written for Linux, GTK plus high DPI ready, fully native. Wow. Yeah. You know, I think one of my favorite things that they've done that a lot of the other app stores don't do is they have links directly to issue trackers. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a great idea. That's really handy. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's been a big one because I, I've definitely watched people um, having that direct link have been able to go file issues and developers are able to fix them really quickly and push out the updates like whenever they want. So we have a super tight feedback loop between users reporting issues and developers taking out updates to fix them. Yeah, if you guys are looking for an app to check out, uh, I suggest Torrential, uh, which is a uh, torrent app that I checked out. Awesome. Just nice, simple, clean, fast, uh, good performance. Really liked it. Torrential. And it fits right in on the desktop. It's it's a great experience. And I, you know what? When you guys launched it, I said it then and I'll say it now. I'm really glad somebody's doing this because I think if we can even just say there's there's a – even if elementary OS proves out that there is interest in a Linux consumer market, I think that's beneficial. Uh, so awesome, guys. Well – uh, Dan and I also say to Cassidy because he was the one that wrote the po- or at least made the post over at Medium. A great work, gentlemen, and great work to the whole team, and great work to all the software developers too. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's really good stuff. Now, everybody knows that there's one threat to the human race that goes beyond nukes, goes beyond rocks from space. I mean, I'm not the one saying this. It's Elon Musk saying it. It's AI. AI is going to doom us all. AI is a fundamental risk to the existence of human civilization. Um, in a way that car accidents, uh, airplane crashes, um, faulty drugs, uh, or bad food were, were not. They were, not, they, they were harmful to, to uh, a set of individuals within society, of course, but they were not harmful to society as a whole. Um, AI is a fundamental existential risk for human civilization. Whoa, that is not mincing words at all. And so that is the context in which we view this next story. AT&T is working on an open-sourced AI project with the Linux Foundation. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be called the... Ooh, I, this is the first time I realized I had to say it out loud. Acumus? Uh, Acumus? I don't know. A-C-U-M-O-S. Acumus. Acumus. Yeah, the Acumus Project, which aims to be a marketplace of artificial intelligent apps and services. So Linux Foundation today announced that it's working on an open source AI project. AT&T is one of the founding organizations. Mm. In my past experience, this usually means that AT&T is going to be the predominant contributor and therefore the driving force 
Uh, it, we'll see. Something like, uh, hey, we have this stuff. We don't know how to shepherd or steward it, but uh, if you guys do, we'll give you this big chunk of coat. Well, it's sort of that, definitely. Yeah. Um, also, hey, can you help us with the community aspect? But mm-hmm. it's it's even more than that. It's we don't think we can make a buck off the core technology, but we know we can make a buck off of ancillary services and services. So if we could get this thing to be a market uh, winner, then we would make a ton of bank. But we're not going to make bank actually selling it itself. So why don't we hand this over to Linux Foundation? Because then people are willing to take it as a standard because it's not coming from AT&T. And I would assume AT&T is probably a company that could cook something up like this. Might actually be able to give Google or Amazon a run for its money. I mean, they certainly have a lot of... Yeah, a lot of money, resources, that sort of thing. So. Yeah, but I think instead of like a core AI, its goal is more like a platform. It's to enable a free exchange of ideas, as they say, and machine learning solutions, which is an interesting – that would be interesting. A marketplace and a platform for machine learning solutions using artificial intelligent frameworks. You guys got your buzz uh, bingo card Yeah, right. Out? They want like tools for casual users, not just data scientists. So yeah. maybe something that like we could actually go play with. Hey, you Stuff never you know. Stuff you apps. And microservices. There we go. I had to make sure we got the whole oh, bingo card. Oh, coming. yeah, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was it's an interesting development. Now, here's the reality of it. And they say this in the in Gadget post that we'll have linked. Uh, the project code will be available near to the platform's launch in early 2018. So maybe we might follow up on the story when that happens if there's some... Uh, yeah, they got like a real minimal landing page you can go check out at uh, acumos.org. But the fact that they're even talking about this means that there's probably, I bet you, a pretty significant chunk of this thing developed. If I, if I yeah. were to wager how these companies work, they generally have almost the whole damn thing lined up. And now it's really a matter of licensing partners, branding, marketing, the new logos for the new name, because there might be a name change now that they're making it a public project. And so they have all these old names in there. And the, all that has to be done before they can actually hand it over to Linux Foundation, and that's all the shit that's happening now. So the code's written, but all this other stupid bureaucratic crap is what's going to take until... Right. Uh, then it can finally it make its way to GitHub or wherever it's going to live. And, right. Yeah. yeah, and then either it will go nowhere, <laughs> or it may be successful. You know, I'm still watching the EdgeX Foundry stuff that uh, Dell contributed to the Linux Foundation for IoT, and I actually think it's a great solution because, quick recap, it's like an IoT firewall. And it, it, it takes all your IoT devices and manages them locally on your LAN and then, of course, can enable remote connections and stuff like that. But it's, um, it's, 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 way, more, it's way more privacy inclined. It's way more local. It's, it allows you to build your own custom IoT network using a set of APIs and frameworks that they created that can enable alerting and automatic response and all of this. And none of it's connected to the Internet or cloud. It absolutely can be. And it can even use remote services, including the Echo stuff. But um, – you can all run on the LAN. And uh, that seems like that would be a thing. But uh, so far, I haven't heard a lot of buzz. They've had an update. They've had a big software update. It also seems like uh, these are the sorts of things that they, they kind of go without buzz. Maybe because the people who end up getting They're adopted enterprise. are... Right. Like, yeah. I mean, think There's about, like, part of we, a solution. They're, they, they are an implementation detail. They are not the product. Like, think about uh, Open Daylight when we went and went right. checked that Same out. Like, thing. I hadn't heard a bunch about it. But then yeah. here's all these different people from different big companies using it. Yep, yeah, because it's like it's how Linus sees Linux in a lot of ways. Linus says that Linux is often just in, in implementation detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of the anecdote that when Steve Jobs uh, was still alive, he tried very aggressively to buy Dropbox years and years ago. And his pitch to them was, you should come work for us because you are a feature, not a product, and you will get replaced by the platform eventually. And uh, to some extent, he's right. You now have you have Google Drive, you have Microsoft OneDrive, you have Apple's iCloud thing. 
<laughs> but Dropbox is competing. <clears throat> but just like that, EdgeX Foundry and uh, now this project – what was it? Acumus? Project – Acumos. There we go. Beard's saying that he's the official pronunciation. It master. may just be an implement, implementation detail for a marketplace or something. Just like Linux is often an implementation detail for a mobile device, for a phone. Did well, they say anything about what license is going to be? No, I don't know if you saw it. Did you see anything on their holding page? Oh. It's definitely not in the news, no. No. And I don't know if, I don't, probably may not know until they get it up on GitHub. Well, I'm just saying, A&T is popular with the BSD licenses. I'm just wondering if we can connect the Mycroft project with this with this project and have some sort of like sped up, sped up collaboration here where maybe solutions and, and, and tricks could be built over in one spot and they could be deployed to a, I'm just saying Mycroft, please, for the love of God, Mycroft. I don't know if I want a Mycroft overlord. I'd take it more than an echo or a Google or a, any other one. That's for damn sure. Uh, I want it on all the things. You know what else is good for all the things? Linux Academy. If you want something for your Linux box, if you want to learn about some of these cloud services, Cloud Service I is that? Yep, that's it. When you're talking about multiple cloud services, is it Cloud Service I is that a thing or Cloud Service? Mm. 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 Well, Linux Academy can help you sort it all out. Yeah, they got the right terms. I'm yeah. sure. And well, cloud they definitely servos. do. <laughs> I like that. LinuxAcademy.com/unplug. That's where you go to support this show and sign up for a free seven day trial. And a seven day trial is going to pretty much let you get a good sense of their self paced in depth video courses, their hands on labs, their learning paths. If you want to go for a set course in your career, their practice exams to get you ready for quizzes, their certification training, if that's your goal, you'll get a sense for some of that. They've also got virtual servers they'll spin up on demand that matches your courseware. So say you, cho- you, you chose Debian, right? Then the virtual machine's also Debian. I just love that <laughs> feature. Not only do I love the feature, but uh, I, that's when they were building that. That's when we were really talking a lot uh, before, uh, about them becoming a sponsor. And, oh, man. They were so proud of that system because you got real Linux geeks at the core of this company, real Linux geeks. And then they worked with some of the best educators and developers to create this platform. And now they've got full-time human instructors when you need help. they got a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members that are vibrant and active. And they can participate in the content to a degree, too, like the flashcard systems forkable by the community. They have iOS and Android apps to let you study on the go. And speaking of studying on the go, they also have lesson audio and notebooks and uh, study guides you can download. And, well, you know, if you're doing that offline thing, it'll work just fine. Hmm. Turns out paper has a great battery life. Who knew? It's crazy. And it's got a pretty good uh, contrast ratio. Yeah. Last millennium's technology. <laughs> <laughs> LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. You go there, you get the seven-day free trial, and you support the show. Thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program, program, program. Let's talk about uh, the Intel uh, ME stuff just really quick. This is the management engine stuff that's actually like an Edison system. If you're not familiar with Edison, that's like a x86 system on a chip thing. <clears throat> it's actually fascinating because it originates from the 486. And then they've like modernized the 486 and this is what makes up the Edison. So it's like a, it's like the, it's like the best things about the Intel 486 with some of the best things about modern processors um, for a, a, for crazy cheap price and a crazy even cheaper for Intel. So of course Intel has now built their management engine on more recent Intel boxes uh, off this x86 system, and this is a huge problem because that means your basic bitch hacker is now going to be able to poke at this thing. 
I mean, I'm, 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 I'm being a little generous, but it's, it goes from this weird esoteric architecture where there aren't very many debugging tools to rip this thing apart, and it requires these crazy hardware bridges to connect to it, to now it's x86 code running on a PC. And it just fundamentally changes the game. And I think, <clears throat> I'm speculating here, but I think this is why Google is now getting in the game of getting out of Intel ME. We recently talked about Purism doing it. Now Google's going even further. They've started the Nerf project. It's short for the Non-Extensible Reduced Firmware. And it's their effort to replace most of the UEFI firmware with a small Linux kernel, an init RAM FS, and a custom portion of code written in the Go programming language. That's right, everyone. You liked Linux. We're putting Linux in your Linux. So double Linux boot. Yeah, this is uh, from one of uh, from Ron, one of Google's core boot developers. Uh, he was in Munich. Munich no, Munich. Ta- I'm, uh, I'm horrible. I'm the worst person ever. Talking about their Nerve project at this week's embedded European Linux conference. So look that shit up. Nerve delivers Linux performance and reliability in its firmware. Oh. N- don't show that to Alan Jude. Oh, my God. Don't show that to Alan. Anyways, as, as well, it also emulates all post-boot activity of the UEFI and, more importantly, the management engine, rather than allowing it to run concurrently in the background, which that creepy son of a bitch is doing yeah. while your OS is running. It's really awful. I really hate it. Uh, currently, the Nerf effort is focused on Intel hardwi- hardware, while the core boot developers acknowledge that the latest AMD chips are closed up, too. And uh, don't believe all you read about Ryzen, they say. Well, that's a bit of a bomb at the end. <laughs> what does that mean? <clears throat> I got to say, the slides for this, they're, they're posted here. They're definitely worth checking out. Yeah. There's no video yet, okay. but uh, it's, it's really easy to read through. I'm very intrigued with this project. Yeah, Nerf, also great name. Great name. And Fun to say. Yeah, it's, it's really great. So he says, that, uh, he says that it also has a 32, 32x speed up in boot time. Oh, because you can probably skip a whole bunch of shit. Because you can go from one Linux kernel to the next, yeah. and just and, and Kexec is already a thing yeah. that they're using. I, bet, I wonder. So and all the so all of the user lands written in Go. You eliminate all UEFI, UEFI, and all management engine post boot activity. Yeah, they basically did a bunch of work, and they kind of talk about it here to like identify every piece of the UEFI that they could do without, including like. UEFI has an IP, TCP IP stack sometimes, right? right. Um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's like, well, we already have this open source kernel uh, that we use, are using all the time. Why not use this too? And they're looking at it from the um, attack vector and 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 control vector, and not so much from the freedom vector, which is interesting because they're still ending up with the same results to yeah. a degree. Um, so here's they say the core problem, uh, the, according to the uh, Google developer. Linux no longer controls the x86 platform. Between Linux and the hardware, there are at least two and a half kernels. <laughs> I'm going to read that again because just wrap your head around that for a second. That's, isn't this reminding you of the baseband problem with your cell phone? Between Linux and the hardware, there are at least two and a half kernels. They are completely proprietary and exploit-friendly. And the exploits can persist, i.e. be written to flash, and you can't fix them. That's the core problem that Google's trying to solve. And... Uh, you know, they're really concerned about server security because they're looking at this not for desktops and laptops. They're looking at this for servers. Exactly. Uh, and they, they, you're right. Jeez, Wes, this is a super awesome uh, – I'm looking at this uh, this presentation. Um, we, you, can you toss a link to that in this section of the yeah. show? Because that is, <clears throat> that is worth reading. Okay. So we have just a couple more community updates before we can get into the interviews. And this story, this, today's a breaking news story. I should have gotten like some sort of soundboard clip. The appeals court is uh, surprising us. 
Get ready for the story that has literally spun my in, spun span my entire podcasting career. It's this is, an, this is unbelievable. Sco's back. Sco is back. No. Sco is back suing IBM in the appeals court. It's it's back on. The Sco versus IBM case lives. It's it's just un- so okay. Let's recap. Last year, U.S. District Judge David Nuffers, God damn it, Chris, this is not your. I'm going to stop saying names for the rest of the episode. Has ruled against ruled against Sco um, in two summary judgment orders, and the court refused to allow Sco to amend its initial complaint about against IBM. We all said, okay, story's done. Sco's done. This story. This is like a year ago where it said it's all done. But then Sco soon appealed, which didn't surprise too many uh, of us. Of course, but it happened. And we've been kind of waiting around to see where this appeal is going to go. Well, on Monday, the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals found that Sko's claim of misappropriation could go forward while also upholding the judge's previous other two orders. So this is – I'll get to it in a second because it's kind of complicated. But if you haven't been following this story since March of 2003, I can understand him. I don't know why I have, to be honest with you. So anyway, Sco, then named, then named Caldera Systems, filed a suit against IBM in March of 2003 for allegedly contributing sections of commercial Unix code that they thought they owned from the Unix System 5, I think it was, which the Sco group was pissed and said, you contributed that to the Linux code base, thereby sort of forcibly open sourcing it. They argued that IBM essentially stole or misappropriated its proprietary code, known as Unixware System Release 4. In the May 4, 2001 release of the Monterey operating system, a new version of Unix designed for IBM's power processors. It was incomplete, didn't have a compiler, it wasn't like a complete um, OS. And so Sco claims that it was IBM basically dumping to get the code out there. On the, on, when IBM released that, that same day, uh, Sco argues that IBM released a sham version of the system in order to legitimize its own general distribution of the AIX power product, which contained Sco's code. They say that they, what IBM basically did was did a sham release of an OS that had their code in it so that way, when they later then released another OS, they could say, but there's precedent. There's other operating systems out there that are already shipping the code. We're not the first ones to do this. Huh. And Sco's saying, yeah, but you did that on purpose just so you could make that claim. And that's why we're still coming after you after all of these years. They're like, okay, well, the judge can be right about all that stuff, but you still did a double dog trick – Back in two thousand and one, <laughs> do we know if uh, any, of this, any of this code still exists in its uh, original form in the kernel? Well, no, no. There was like a serious like come to Jesus moment where yeah. they went through and like cleaned out anything that might have been left, and who knows? Maybe that might have been some of the momentum behind System D too. The whole thing though is is like this zombie threat against Linux. That is just sort of like it's one of those zombies that comes up at you but doesn't have any teeth now, so it's just sort of gumming at your neck. It's not actually by you're like, oh, it's a new accessory come you just on. have to take with you everywhere. Just go. Just go, zombie. Go. You smell terrible. Yeah. It's the, it's the zombie sco, and it's back. Zombie sco is back, and they're saying that IBM double dog tricked them years ago by doing a sham release of an OS. That way they could then do another release of another OS that had their code in it that then ended up in GNU slash Linux, which was the original sin. Everybody follow that? Good. So I want to talk a little bit about our guests. Will Cook is the Ubuntu desktop manager, and Mr. Didrocks is, I would say, probably most publicly famous for his um, Artful's 
transition to GNOME posts. He did 16 blog posts, which uh, I will have linked in the show notes. I'll have at least the 16. And it was it was Ubuntu GNOME Shell in Artful. Every single sort of major decision was documented. And we covered some of these in the show, probably a dozen of them, not that, half a dozen, I don't know, five of them. But we, so, so there were some big moments we covered in the show. And we were currently going back to them. And I really liked these posts because uh, there was something that Microsoft did during, I don't, when's the last time I complimented Microsoft, everybody? Microsoft did something really smart during the release cycle of Windows 7. I wonder if you guys remember, remember, gee, sorry, remember this. There was this like uh, insider Windows development blog where they documented every major decision towards the development of Windows 7. And including like some big changes that would impact enterprise deployments and end users and gamers. And they did this long, complicated technical series. And even though I wasn't a Windows user, I loved reading it because I really got an insight in the development of Windows 7. And I think it really got the whole damn Windows community, for what it was, excited about this release. And I still, to this day, believe it was one of the things that contributed to its success, Windows 7, its success in the enterprise because sysadmins like me were reading that and we knew what was coming group yeah. policy-wise. We knew what was coming with the SMB signing. We knew what was changing with how the shares and actor all this stuff really kind of was just explained to us and it made it an easy adoption. And I feel like to a degree that's what Didrock's post did for Ubuntu 17.10 in this transition from Unity 7 to GNOME and their idea to do with their, their, their reasoning for their doc and how they did it, the, the GNOME mode. So I talk with Didrock's about some of this. And uh, I think it's great. And we get a great anecdote for him. And then after that, I'll bring on Will. He he had to join us separately. They were going to come on together, but Will got stuck at the office. And so after I wrapped up with Didrocks, uh, Will was getting home. And so then Will and I chatted for a bit. So we got two separate interviews Ooh. that we're going to play. And uh, Will's is really great because as the Ubuntu desktop manager, he's in a position to answer some you know rather poignant questions. And so I asked them. And so I'm really looking forward to playing that for you guys as well. So let's take a moment and uh, let's thank DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a sponsor right here on the Unplugged program, and they've rolled out so much great stuff. So I guess Hacktober has a wrapped up now as people are listening to this. Lots of good code went to open source. If you, ha- you want to just go look at some of the projects that DigitalOcean uh, helped code roll into, go look at the Hacktoberfest page. They also provide a lot of back-end infrastructure for a lot of our favorite open-source projects. And they, they kind of really just do, do. It, they do it sort of quietly every now and then. Some of the projects might put like a logo on the page or something. Uh, DigitalOcean is just a great way to spin up really fast, really powerful infrastructure in less than 55 seconds. And the pricing is just phenomenal. And if you use our promo code, you'll get a $10 credit. So go to DigitalOcean.com, create the account, and then use our promo code DOUnplugged. One word, put it all together, DOUnplugged, and that'll give you a $10 credit. The, my favorite rig is the one I use for my remote desktop system is three cents an hour. <laughs> so that's just amazing. And then what? I've attached 100 gigabytes of block storage, which I use to hold what I call my work volume, which is all the big like clips and stuff I'm working mm-hmm. on for work. And uh, I, I've, I've been really, really impressed with how well that's worked. Because obviously these things aren't like built to be desktop systems. Hell, if it's not super fast because everything's so fast. SSDs. Oh, yeah. They got crazy great internet. So I always have the – That transit, man. They I have know the what best. they're doing. Like always when I'm rode in, I always know that the digital ocean droplet has the best possible connection. And that really makes a difference for that. Um, the object storage is great for generating links to download stuff. Of course, I could I can only scratch the surface there. And, and all of it really kind of comes together with a dashboard that's so great – uh, I say it's a dashboard for days. It's you can you can choose from Ubuntu, FreeBSD, Fedora, Debian, um, CentOS, 
And they have uh, CoreOS in there as well. You can choose data centers all over the world, work with Teams if you want. And if you've never ever installed a server before, it's easy. And if you've installed servers for the last 15 years, you're going to love how they've managed to strike that balance. And like, it's still easy. Like the thing that makes me smile every damn time I do it is the DNS management in DigitalOcean. It's just or or actually really what really is tops is the SSH, SSH key management. Oh yeah. Oh man, nobody does it like that. Nobody does it like that. And they're also uh rolling out uh, their new Spaces product. They're offering a couple of months for free right now and they have a great write up on what the hell object storage is, how it works, why you might want to use Spaces and uh, how it could probably make your website faster too. digitalocean.com. And then just uh, use our promo code DO unplugged one word. You get a ten dollar credit, and uh, you support the show. And we much, we much, much appreciate it. Um, so there was a post recently talking about the uh, canonical goals for eighteen oh four, which I'll have linked in the show notes. But we're going to get into that a little bit. So let's start with uh, Mister Didrocks. Uh, I assume when I started talking to him because he wrote all the blog posts that, of course, he must be the man with the master plan. <laughs> there was no even master plan. Yeah, actually, in my conversation with him, it turns out that they weren't even really quite sure what they were going to do up until the point they went to Guadec. Like, how far in are we going to go? Like, mm-hmm. how many changes are we going to make? They knew they had some data. Like, the, they'd surveyed users and everybody wanted a dock. Everybody wanted Thunderbird and Firefox. So they had, like, an idea of what the users expected. But there was a moment that we talked about on the show. It was one of the times we covered on this mm-hmm. blog post where things really clicked for them. And that was they went they go to Guadic, they, they build up some contacts. But Didrox ends up having a conversation with a friend of his. They just spitballing. And, and the guy goes... Hey, you know, there's this there's this GNOME shell mode thing, and you guys could implement all your modifications in this mode, and then people could just choose between them. And that was sort of like the pivotal moment where I think development wow. for 1710 kicked up, and he shares all the insights here. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all based, like, we didn't, you know, change anything in the core, you know, like GNOME shell uh, idea about theming or about, you know, adding extension. Like, for the, for the way we implement our session, like adding the doc, what you don't have by default on the GNOME one. Uh, it's using what we call the GNOME shell uh, mode. And so as part okay. of the mode, you can say this is the CSS. So this is the theme, basically. This, uh, those are the default extensions that we want to enable. Um, and basically, it was even, you know, like based on a conversation with some friends uh, in the GNOME community who told us, oh, you should do it that way. Uh, yeah, that seems like a significant decision point for this entire project. Like, it seems like when when the decision was made to implement a, a no mode, a, a session, uh, it, it sort of was like a turning point in a way, like how this was all going to be done. Is that true? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah, so it was a little bit before even we decided, you know, what we are going to do. It was in July, and I was just, you know, doing my daily exercise with a friend who is working <laughs> on No Man Flatpak. <laughs> So we can see that we don't hate each other. <laughs> and, uh, and, and basically, we just, you know, like discuss about how, how, well, in case, you know, we are going to ship a doc or, you know, what do you think? Because we are talking about tech, you know, every time and say, oh, you know that there is this mode thing. Uh, and this is how GNOME Classic is implemented. And maybe you can look at, you know, this and see if it works for you. And yeah, it did work. It did work. Even, you know, way better than I was expecting. We, we only have two or three distro patch in GNOME Shell, changing the behavior, like the Altab one that I explained on my blog, and two or three things on the sound notifications. But we made that depending on the session. So it means that okay. if you are in the Ubuntu session, it has this behavior. If you are on another session, it has a default upstream behavior. 
So the conversation meanders a bit, and I get to 1804 with him, and um, there's a clear message from both Will and Did Rocks here, and it's that 1804, they really want it to be a rock, and so it's about polishing. So practically speaking, how do you go from that statement to actually making it happen? And so Did Rock says, well, we're really going to have our QA focus on banging on GNOME 3 the way we used to bang on Unity 7. We're re-gearing our QA department now for GNOME 3. We want as well with our QA team to bring back, you know, the kind of quality expertise that we have uh, with Unity in particular, like uh, running a lot of integration tests uh, so that each new upload, you know, are very work solid and so that we don't have to stress, you know, as much as we did for 1710. And they have a lot of automated testing. I'll be interested to see if they can apply that to GNOME, you know, because then GNOME could start seeing a bunch of great bug fixes. I was looking on the uh, community page where Will Cook's starting to post our weekly roundup they're working already practically on quite a bit of stuff. This made me think, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about um, elementary and Unity, that there's something, you know, not to say that, that like GNOME, GNOME or Plasma don't have releases or anything like that, but there's something a little different when it's a distribution release. You know, there's a certain amount of like, they understand that this is going to be the gateway. It's not just that, it's it's to the whole experience and if they're going to get adopted or not. And so maybe there's a little bit different of an attitude and, yeah, and that's going to go up. Yeah, yeah interesting. Uh, so I got this anecdote from Did Rocks. I really appreciate him sharing with because I love this kind of stuff because it's nothing that's been posted on a blog or Twitter, and um, it's kind of a significant development that came up 24 hours before the 1710 release. But the day before the release, we found you know for first one guy telling, "Oh, I don't have any more UI." <laughs> Okay, oh. and then we saw a second person, you know, complaining as well. Yeah, they, they had ATI cards, um, a third one, a fourth one having NVIDIA cards, and we started, you know, like to say, "Oh, <laughs> there is really something like <laughs> a lot of people complaining." No GNOME shell crash, you know, like before they had a UI, and on that day, you know, the update broke. And thanks to the very awesome French community, uh, I'm, I'm looking a lot on, you know, the French forum being very involved with that community. And over the forum, we were debugging that. Uh, and I was asking, you know, uh, one of the impacting persons to revert, you know, a lot of packages. <laughs> and it was 24 hours before the release. So you can imagine, you know, the level of stress. Wow. <laughs> uh, and we found that it was the GNOME shell update from 3.26.1. So from 3.26.0 to 3.26.1, this issue started to appear. Mm. So looking at, you know, all the commits and we saw that new features entered GNOME and we saw that this, you know, oh, potentially those commits are going to break. So preparing special packages, you know, trying to revert some commits and asking over the forum to the guy, you know, to test it. And the guy even was working and he went back home just to test this. So it's really awesome, you know, dedication. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I can't thank That's him. That's a great you know, community. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> And and once we found, you know, the commit, we were able at least, you know, to ping upstream and they fix it, you know, very, very, you know, uh, quickly, uh, seeing what the oh, issue, you know, started to be. But basically, you know, it's a lot of stress and, and we just had a respin, you know, on the day of the release. So people telling, oh, the, the, you know, the ISOs are ready for a week already and you can download that. This will be the final. No, it's not. <laughs> Those are not final ISOs. So. So this, take this anecdote in for a moment. Uh, 24 hours before the 1710 release, GNOME 3.26.1 comes out. 
and GNOME.3.26.1 for some users starts breaking the graphical environment. And uh, this is the this is the so they really GNOME 3.26.1 didn't come out 24 hours release, but 24 hours before release they realized this problem is developed. Ugh. Right, they've already got it on their ISO, right? So they've already got GNOME 3.26.1 on the ISO, and they realized 24 hours before release, shit, this is starting to happen. Wow. And it was thanks to a French community forum member that Didrox was chatting with via the forum, not a canonical employee, but this forum member who left his job and went home to help debug the problem, wow. that they managed to find the issue, get a fix written, get the patch upstream to GNOME, GNOME adopted the fix, and they got that fix, then repackaged up and pushed back down to 17.10 in that day. So not only is it fixed, but it was like fixed the up, right way. And upstream, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just couldn't even believe that when That's I heard incre- that. That's like the best. Because that four member was willing to go home for the day. This is like an like- open source success story on steroids. I feel like Canonical should like call that guy's office and give him like a doctor's note or something. <laughs> well, he's, he's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I say thanks to whoever that individual was. No because, kidding. Yeah, I mean, that really helps. And it's it really does also show you in a weird, weird, like real way how much of a community effort it still is at the end of the day. You can talk about Mark Shuttleworth and Canonical and, and you can talk about the employees at Canonical. But then at the end of the day, thanks to a forum member in a French Linux community, <laughs> I just can't even believe it. It's, it's just sort of, un, uh, it's just, but it's so great because it is having worked in project releases like that, the exact kind of thing that happens. It's those real human stories. Um, so I also asked him if he's going to continue to blog during the 1804 cycle, because I, like I said, I've really enjoyed them. And he says he is. He says that he'll be continuing to post updates, um, and uh, he doesn't expect there'll be as many because there's really not going to be as many radical changes. It's going to be more like bug fixes and stuff. You know, they're trying to make 1804 solid, not uh, not totally new. But <clears throat> both, when I talked to Will and Didrox, I got, I, got, I got a sense that there's, there is a um, willingness to implement new features in 1804. So there could be new stuff that ends up showing up in 1804, even though right now they're all talking bug fixes. Uh, so <laughs> now I want to talk. I want to chat with Will. It's a we have uh, these are a bit longer, um, and um, I will. Uh, you know what? Let's do this. Let's take a moment. We'll uh, we'll 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 thank Ting, and then we'll get to Will because yeah. uh, Will was a we don't want any Will was a great chat. Then. And yeah, and I just want to do the whole thing. So go 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 over to Linux.ting.com. Yeah, that's right, Linux.ting.com. You go there and you sign up for a smarter way to do mobile. It's 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 how they'd have to do it, to be honest. <clears throat> If they had to compete today, if the big duopolies had to compete today, uh, it's how they'd have to do it. It's You just pay for what you use. You don't prepay for like 300 minutes and 300 text messages and a gigabyte of data or a thousand. You know, you don't you don't just guess how much you're going to use. You just pay for what you do use. It's $23 for the average ting bill per line. 23 bucks. You pay for what you use. It's $6 a month for each line. If you want 10 lines, it's $6. Now, stop and think about that if you're a small business or even a kind of a moderately large family. Who else has those prices? $6 a line? And then you pay for what you use? That's, I mean, that's super competitive. For, for a small business, it's a game changer. It lets, us, it lets us have mobility and coverage in a way that would cost us an inconceivable amount of money otherwise. You go to linux.ting.com and you get $25 in service credit if you bring a GSM or a CDMA device. Yeah, they support both. Just check their BYOD page. Or if you want to buy a phone, they'll take $25 off. 
They have great devices, the whole range from budget phones, flip phones, SIM cards only, to uh, you know, the latest and greatest Cadillacs. And they really are just super simple to work with. It's, uh, in fact, I really like their new strategy. When, when the beard over there was at TwitchCon, as uh, sort of like a TwitchCon swag item, they were handing out Ting SIM cards. Yep. And I think that just sort of perfectly encapsulates Ting. It's like you just get the SIM card, and then when you need it, you put it in something, and then uh, they'll let you use their mobile network however you want, and you just pay for what you do use. It's a really great way to do it. You go to linux.ting.com. It's, it's my mobile service provider now for over two years. linux.ting.com, and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Yeah, so Will is the Ubuntu desktop manager, and he just recently restarted the desktop weekly newsletter over at community.ubuntu.com, where they covered some of the upstream fixes that they've been working with. And he has all kinds of things to talk about. Uh, he, I've been wanting to chat with Will for a long time, and he and I had a, had a good chance to sort of uh, chat on and off at the Ubuntu rally, but I wanted to get him on the show because he's one of those guys where he has been around at Canonical and been following Ubuntu, well, since forever. And I've been using Ubuntu for, oh, I don't know, well, since the beginning. Stuart Langridge, of all people, put me onto it. Um, I was playing around with Debian, and, and he said, oh, you should try this Ubuntu thing. It's a whole lot less bother. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's got like an eleven-year-old uh, uh, an account over there, launchpad account or something like that. And uh, he's now the guy that sort of manages the whole damn Ubuntu desktop effort. And so I wanted to ask him sort of a question that's been kicking around in my mind, and that is, did they just sort of screw the pooch by dropping Unity because it was essentially theirs? Nobody upstream could tell them no. They had a certain amount of difference that was that made them stand out because they had this unique product and uh, gave them certain leverage to implement goals that the company might have. So if you want to integrate snap packs throughout the whole damn thing, nobody would stop them from doing it to Unity. So I asked Will, I said, Will, is, are you concerned that Ubuntu has lost some of its leverage by dropping Unity and switching to GNOME? I'm not concerned about it. Uh, I mean, there the, the will need to be uh, these discussions about, I don't know, some of the the usability that, that we think is suboptimal, uh, but upstream are, are very, have a very clear vision about the way that they want to do it. So, you know, we need to we need to have those discussions in the open with upstream. Um, and, you know, we need evidence to, to back this up. Um, we do have a certain amount of research that was done in the Unity 7 days uh, and indeed the Unity 8 days to say, you know, this works and this doesn't. So we can make all of that research available to, to GNOME designers and the GNOME community and say, we, we think this is a good idea and here's why we think it's a good idea. Let's talk about it. Um, and, you know, we're coming with, with evidence showing one way or the other. If it is ultimately against the, the wishes of upstream, then, you know, that's, that's the way we have to go because we are now working upstream. He actually reiterated that point later on. He later on said, uh, yeah, if they do something that uh, we're not on board with, then uh, we'll just defer to their wisdom, we believe, in this case. And that's, uh, that's a fascinating statement. Essentially, they're planning not to fight the current. That's a big. That's a big move, decision, uh, direction for you know a company mm-hmm. to go. That's a lot of trust in their upstream. And I also asked him, kind of related. I said, "Well, how have some of the hardware vendors responded to this?" Ooh. You know what I mean. And uh, his his answer was essentially, "Well, uh, for the most case, they're shipping LTSs, but uh, for the second thing, uh, in a way, for them, it's it's less risk because now Canonical is not solely responsible for the desktop product." And so the OEMs, in a way, uh, don't really have that worry that is Canonical going to get off the pot and uh, ship something new, or, or we've got to start now. It's 
they're they're not solely responsible for it. it defers the risk a bit for the OEMs in the long run was hmm. sort of his argument. Now I, I had uh, I had a question that sort of been percolating from our Discord chat room. Discord.me slash Jupiter Colony. We have a Linux unplugged chat room over there. Linux unplugs chat room. A reason why I p- channel, I guess they call it. Here's why I think this is a good idea, you guys. I'm mentioning this because if you're ever watching the video version and you see a link go by or if you're listening and you want to hear what the Discord room's response was, now that we're breaking Linux up, we're going to break all the shows off into their own channels. There's not going to be a ton of activity between this episode and the next one. So if you're here, if you're listening to this in playback, either in video or audio, you can go into that Linux Unplugged channel and see what the Discord conversation was because there's not really going to be much else in there. Yeah. And That's including handy. links if you see something go by. So discord.me slash Jupiter Colony and then Linux Unplugged is the channel for this show. And so one of the questions that's been coming through our Discord a lot has been, are they going to replace all the devs with, uh, with, with snaps? Um, Will said li- recently that they were, are considering replacing the Leaf quote-unquote applications with snaps in 1804. So uh, I asked them, you know, what is a Leaf application? What is the deal with that? And uh, what role are snaps going to play in uh, 1804? So we have the, the dev archive, and that is not going to go away because there are flavors that are using it. Uh, a lot of the snaps are built on from, from those devs um, and that source. So, you know, that, it's not going to go anywhere. But we do want the to have the ability to, to push out new and updated applications much quicker to our end users. We're not going to be a rolling release. You know, that's, that's not going to happen. So the snaps give us the, the freedom to push out updates quickly, and it gives us the whole... Um, ability to have various tracks and various channels so we can put something into testing and people can very easily switch over, test it, and then switch back again if it doesn't work. So it gives us a, an element of freedom to to move more quickly on a very s- solid foundation of 1804. The, the underlying OS can can stay the same and all of the um, you know the processes that we go through to make sure that only good quality packages get into that release. Um, so yeah, the, the idea with snaps and the leaf applications, these are the ones sort of uh, the, uh, the the very tip of the tree, if you like. Um, these are going to be user applications which are perhaps less entwined in the in the underlying OS. So the likes of the GNOME apps, they depend on the GNOME libraries, but they don't necessarily need to sort of dig into deep into the file system. Yeah, and so it seems like if it's a user space application that uh, isn't necessarily overly integrated with the overall OS, it could be a candidate to be snappified and then sort of like how Android delivers stuff through the Play Store in a way, this is a rough equivalent, uh, Canonical could deliver updates to applications while not altering the LTS base. Seems like a, I mean, it seems like a, a pretty good goal and that would be a good way to test it. But I, my comment back to Will was essentially... That's huge. I mean, that's a huge objective for Canonical. That obviously makes Snaps pretty critical to the future mm-hmm. of the yeah. desktop and to Canonical. Um, aren't you a bit worried that this is going to frustrate your upstream developers, GNOME, that are creating your desktop now? Like, you are now in a very precarious situation where the Ubuntu distribution is pretty much married to GNOME, and they're all in on Flatpak, and you're, you guys are creating a competitor that could ruffle some feathers. Are you concerned about that? Yeah, I mean, that, that is definitely a, a very real risk, and we do need to be careful the way that we, we navigate that. Um, but ultimately, you know, we're not we're not blocking Flatpak from being developed uh, and distributing their apps in that way. Um, you know, you can get all the GNOME apps as, as, as Flatpaks, and you can get them all as Snaps. So, you know, there shouldn't be a problem here. 
I thought that was a decent answer, really, because that's true. At the end of the day, they're both uh, essentially first-class citizens on the Ubuntu desktop. So you can, if you want to run, you want to flat pack it, you can flat pack it, and uh, let let the market decide is essentially their approach. There, fair enough, fair enough. So there's been um, some rumors going afoot that Unity Seven is not quite dead yet. That in fact there may be a small, but not not insignificant effort to continue Unity 7 and to make it shippable for 1804. Yeah, and uh, I want to know what the heck's going on here. Is this this a canonical-driven effort? Is this a community-driven effort? What is the story here? It's definitely a a community-driven thing. Uh, I mean, we're we're obviously very welcome of um, of people that want to step up and help maintain that. Uh, During the 1710 cycle, we did take an interest in making sure that Unity 7 still worked and, and, you know, wasn't completely broken. Uh, And that is a is a statement that we will stand by in 1804 we will make sure that it doesn't just break horrifically and and then suddenly it <laughs> is unusable um what we won't be able to do is is any sort of significant feature development it it's in it's on 1604 so things like security updates and critical crashes these sort of kind of things we are still on the hook to to make sure that those updates happen so you know if we're if we're in there um working on the code base anyway to to fix up things then um you know, the, the, that will benefit 1804 users as well. You know, if we, if we upload, I don't know, let's say a new version of um, Xorg and suddenly it breaks um, Unity 7, the more people that are out there testing it, the sooner we know, then the easier it will be to fix that, or, you know, rather than six months later try and try and find what commit it was that, that broke it in the first place. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very keen to see people get involved in that. Yeah, there's a community organizing effort over on the community page, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's it's not insane, actually, because they already have to support it, as you heard Will say, for 1604. So that the the security backporting, bug fixing is not maybe not so much bug fixing unless it's something like a regression, uh, is still happening for 1604 because yeah, right. they have to support that for years. So why not also then make it available for 180 if that work's being done? Totally. You know, like Microsoft like makes <clears throat> security patches for XP, but then Hold on to them unless you pay. Yeah. yeah, it's essentially the opposite of that. And um, I kind of I kind of think it works great, too, because Compiz itself, we've had Wimpy talk to us a little bit about how Compiz itself is also still being maintained and uh, in, 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 quote, unquote, not active development, but uh, not also neglected. It's like still being worked on. It's still a product that gets tested and it's getting better still. Um, yeah. So you have basically a vintage Compiz compositor, which has been pretty well worked out now over the years by a very intelligent, very talented developer who uh, just blows me away. Uh, some of the some of the um, video acceleration stuff I think is due to the Compiz, the guy that also maintains Compiz, and um, just incredibly talented individual. And so I really, I guess I have a lot of I now that I now I know who he is and I've met him. I have some faith in uh, that product, and it seems like it's obvious that if Unity is going to be maintained for 1604, that it's it's probably a safe bet for 1804, and it's pretty damn reliable, and it works pretty damn well. And so to me, it was that, that conversation there after I walked away, I'm like, well, why the hell don't I just use that? Like, I didn't switch away from Ubuntu because of Unity. I switched away because of Arch. And uh, if I hadn't switched away, I would have still been using Unity. 
So why not? And it's going to be maintained for it. For I mean, the that 1804 is going to be maintained for five years. Yeah, totally. That's a ton of we runway. We have a long time. And I could switch back to Gnome or Plasma at any moment, and I have a ton of runway to let them work it out. That is where it's nice to be on Ubuntu, right? Like, not only do you get Unity, but, yeah, you can switch to Gnome just about yeah. any time I, you want. I know you can get Unity on Arch. I tried. I tried. It's just, it's not the same. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's sort of a, a bigger story here, and that is... If you're, I I hear this from the audience too. If you're like, I, I never really develop anything. I I don't do any translations. I I don't even submit bugs. Uh, I, but I feel like I should do something. And uh, maybe this is your time. Maybe this is your time. Seventeen ten is is not bad to kick the tires. Even load it up in a VM, as Will says, and uh, help file bugs. If everybody could spend you know an hour in a VM testing something in seventeen ten and just log a bug report for everything they find, then it means that eighteen oh four is going to be just an excellent, high-quality, solid, reliable release. Um, we we can't do that on our own. We're you know relatively small team. We can find the bug and fix the bugs that we know about. So if people can can tell us about these things, then they will get fixed. Don't just hang out on um, comments on on forum posts and um, you know social media and that kind of thing, moaning that something's broken. Please help us to to fix it. Yeah, and it's really not hard to file a bug for Ubuntu, and uh, it is sort of an opportunity to sort of contribute towards the next LTS that could be more stable. Even if you're not a main daily Ubuntu user, it's a nice way to help out open source and the GNOME project and maybe Wayland. Uh, so check that out. We'll have links to ways to help out and the community stuff in the page. It really seems to be in the show notes. It really seems to be their focus is making 18.04 great again. Oh, I did it. Oh, God. Sorry. Sorry. Anyways, I really appreciate both Didrocks and Will coming on the show. It was great to chat with them. Yeah, that's great. And uh, it was it was nice to sort of mark um, a really, um, I mean, damn, uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, a Hercules effort? Her- what is that? Herculean. Thank you. That really was, was what seemed like 1710 was, especially when you consider they started out, they didn't quite know going into it how far they were going to go. Like, where was the line? Where do we draw the line from? This is unity now to stock gnome 3 they didn't know where that line was they didn't know what their doc solution was they they ended with a great anecdote where uh, a community member saves the day by helping troubleshoot and then upstream kicks ass by cooperating in record speed wow did you see this week that the gnome project had a little uh, gnome loves uh, ubuntu on their front page i don't know if it's, yeah i don't know if it's still up there but they were they were welcoming the 1710 users that was pretty i, I did not expect to see that didn't, I don't know if it's still up there or not, but oh, it is still up there. Look at that. Yeah. Ubuntu plus gnome equals love Aww. at gnome.org. How far we have come. Well, what happened to the big red hat conspiracy? <laughs> Anyways, it's great to see it. And um, now I'm all, now I, now I'm, now I'm some sort of unity hipster and I, I hate it. I hate it because I know people are going to give me shit. Um, but I'm all in and I'll link you if you're, if you are too, if you want to stay here, uh, you know what? Unity 7 is the new XFCE. I'm calling it right now. And I also am going to predict here on this show, episode 221, that there will be a Unity 7 respin of at least 1804, if not 1710 eventually. That if this takes off and you even get a few people contributing and the fact that Canonical employees are going to be contributing as part of their maintenance of 1604, why wouldn't you create a respin? Everybody loves making a respin. Yeah, totally. Maybe, hey, and maybe even it'll have first class art support someday. Maybe you could someday. call it Pop OS. No, I'm kidding. Um, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. But I really think somebody could come up with something like this, like a respin. And uh, it might have some love. Yeah. Maybe they're, uh, maybe Unity 7 refugees will end up on Unity. 
We should name it. That would be really, if anybody in the room, anybody in the room good coming up with names? Because that would be a really good one. Hello, Mr. Wimpress. Nice to see you pop in. Hello. I'm good at names. What do you think? If somebody, I'm calling a prediction that somebody, at least with 1804, maybe during 1710 cycle, but I think with 1804 is going to release a Unity respin of Ubuntu. Unity 7. Let's call it Unity 8. <laughs> like A-T-E or, or like what? Like <laughs> No, Unity no Unity 10. Unity 10, yeah. dude. You got to go. What do you think, Wimpy? What, do, what are they going to call that distro? It's a Unity 7 Ubuntu. Well, I mean, it's funny you should mention this because I've just sort of pitched in on their thread on the Ubuntu community hub to say if they're seeking to make a – there are a group of people that are gearing up to do this. You know, if they're seeking to make an official flavor, I will help guide them through that process. And I've been thinking about names. I've not mentioned this to anybody, but they could go for the Ubuntu Unity Remix whilst they're, you know, working through that process, and then it would become Ubuntu Unity. But I thought to myself, I quite like Ubuntu United. That's good, too. I think think it's going to be Ubuntu Unity, probably just for clarity, I bet. I bet you. Yeah, so the new naming scheme is sort of Ubuntu and, you know, desktop environment or application. So uh, my prediction is pretty on point then, it would seem. <laughs> wow. I would really I would really like it if they took you up on that offer, if yeah. you have the bandwidth for that, because... Uh, That's you, very generous. I don't know. You, 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 I Just not to repeat myself in the show, but um, I'm going all in on Unity 7 on, on the studio machines. And so I, I'm, really, I'm really glad to hear that uh, we just played a clip from Will where he said that they're going to su- there's be some level of support into 1804, which really kind of sealed the deal yeah. for me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I contacted Will earlier and said, you know, I was going to offer my assistance. And I, I found out that other people at Canonical are already also offering their assistance to sort of coach and guide this group of um, uh, would-be distro maintainers t- to get them orientated. So I think there's a good chance that this could happen because all the right people seem to be prepared to, you know, lend a, extend a hand to, to help them get started. So it'd be great to see. It's a genuinely good product. Just it's it's a good product. Um, it's in the sense that it, you can appreciate that it's well thought out. It performs well. It does its job, and it stays the hell out of your way. And then it does other yep. things that I appreciate as somebody who gets impatient. As it, it, the there seems to be, uh, and I, I have not confirmed this, but Noah has told me a subtle transition in the animation speeds as you continue to use the desktop. The animation speeds at a certain point speed up once they figure, okay, you've gotten the idea. That yeah. is some brilliance right there. That is some damn brilliance. There's a lot of thought and design that's gone into Unity. And the other thing is, is that it is still current. So, you know, high DPI and all of those good things are all taken account for. And when I when I wrote my email, I introduced my, my post on the community hub, I introduced myself for those, those who weren't familiar and sort of basically said, you know, I have some experience in preserving a desktop for the users that love it. And I did want to go on a bit further and, 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 you know, talk about that, but I decided to keep things brief. But, you know, I wanted to say, you know, Unity 7 is a great project to preserve because it's up to date right now. There's only one thing I can think of that they might want to consider doing to, um, you know, bring Unity 7 up to date with sort of contemporary stuff. And that's to use LibInput as opposed to the Synaptics driver. Right. And other than that, you know, it's pretty much there. Um, so yeah, it's a great project to, to build a a new flavor around or continue a flavor around. 
I think it's going to happen. And I hope it does because... I hope so too. Have you seen that there's some nice ISO spins from a couple of projects on SourceForge? No, I didn't know that's a thing already. It's all... Yeah, so there's there's a 1710 Ubuntu Unity ISO and it's it's a proper job. It's been really well done. I so don't suppose, I believe... Would you be able to toss a link to that in the Unplugged Discord channel? If you I, a bit later I will. Okay. I'll have to go hunting sure. and find it. Sure. I would love to see that. That's fascinating. That's happening fast. Wow. Yeah. We should dig out the old... Um, the old docs that the design team did because they did some they had a whole load of extra features that were planned for unity but never got done because for various reasons like resourcing mostly but there were some really nice stuff that they came up with that we just never got around to doing hello maybe Paul. they could um hello use inspiration yeah uh, yeah, Will was talking too about maybe sharing some of the Unity Seven uh, usability research with the uh, with the GNOME group too. Um, cool. I uh, I'm really glad you guys are here because this is going to be the episode where I get flamed for being a Unity Seven hipster for like this. I'm going to get labeled after this, so I'm glad you guys are here as a support group for me because. Uh, well, I, it's it's good that you're in at the ground level, Chris. Yes, yeah, yeah, I am apparently. Dude, I'm using it right now. That's my <laughs> it's my main desktop. Me too. On my, me my too. M- me too. I've reloaded five systems since last week's episode with Ubuntu sixteen oh four, sixteen oh four, and Unity Seven, and I've put them all in landscape. It's been going great. I really like it. It's the it's so far. I'm only I'm obviously only one week into it. I don't know if Unity gets to be called hipster anymore. I think it's I think you're Unity oldster, Chris. Yeah, yeah. The, you know the uh, I I'm a big proponent of Cockpit as well. I think that's a great product yeah. for uh, Fedora. Uh, but um, the uh, landscape product is nice because you got a couple of tiered options here. You get yourself hosted, which costs a little more, but then you run the server yourself, or you can go with the service version, which is like five dollars a month or whatever, and it does everything I need. You know, I just go to the, Ooh, yeah. I go to landscape page, I log in, I get a quick overview of all the systems. I mean, that's that's it. Basically, give it takes it from uh, kind of a mishmash and everything. Sort of before we had Solus, we had Ubuntu, we had two arches. Um, we had a couple of Ubuntu seventeen tens, uh, you know, just kind of just a, a boy. That a, a sounds rash. like madness. Even yeah. even though like Linux is the whole thing that we're doing, right? Like, what show is this? But like, just that's that's a lot yeah, of for, administrative for one, overhead. Yeah, for one studio, for no real reason. Just, yeah, it's just sort of all over the place. And um, you know, mostly it was driven by application availability, right? Like a year ago, um, which is just not the same issue today. And it's so nice. Um, and so yeah, it was a great time to purge. It takes time. Going through and resetting up all these systems, there's so many little fiddly things you got to do. And you have to be able to, like, it's not like you can leave it off at any one stage. You need to get far enough that you can, like, still do the next show that you have to do. Yeah. I'm going to also say, since I'm just, since I'm already all in, I think the Unity launcher is still superior to any other dock implementation that I've used. First of all, it doesn't take a shit, which is nice. A lot of the, a lot of the Linux docs out there do. Uh, but it, it has good progress indication, but I really like the wiggle bounce thing because that really is a nice subtle, but then it stops. It's just a, it's just a solid, and then you hold down the uh, super key and you get like the numbered execution. There's a, there's oh, just yeah, a, that is nice. there's just a crap ton of keyboard navigation possible in Unity 7, which uh, makes it really quick for me to do it on air. So if I wanted to uh, launch Spotify to play music like during the post show, I hold down super and I, I super eight and Spotify launches and uh, then I, I hit FN play and it just starts playing and then I get playback control in a drop down menu that I can use from the other virtual desktop that I'm on. Super eight, that's great. It is. Um, there is many things about it that I, I, I really appreciate the like control alt numpad to uh kind of quick tile mm-hmm. windows i use mm-hmm. that all the time at work and also i do feel like speaking of that i do feel like the uh 
the desktop, the the virtual desktop, whatever you want to call this, this 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 expose out or whatever you want to yeah. call it, and then move windows around is is butter smooth. It's the it's the smoothest. The zoom in, zoom out, move around. The way it works is butter smooth. And then there's other things about this that I that GNOME three has just gotten um, uh, with this with the new three dot twenty six release that Unity 7 have the entire time, like the fact that you can snap a window to the edge but then resize and drag it. Oh, yes. And, yes. and I don't know what they're doing differently than other desktops, but um, uh, my Windows, uh, it just, I don't know. It's like things are fitting better. Like I snap something and there's like still space for Telegram to fit on the screen and Telegrams fits proportionally and it's just, it's just like, it just, it just works and I don't have to screw with it and it's all done beautifully and smooth and I should really stop now because I'm probably driving people crazy. But I I haven't used Unity regularly as my main driver for what? How long did I, what did I switch to Arch? Uh, three years now. Yeah, three, four years. Yeah. Yeah, and so I have not used. I mean, I've used it as an appliance. We have a machine over here. I poke at it. I set software up. But I don't sit down for a six-hour work period and just use it. Right. And that's where I had started having these holy shit moments where I'm like, oh yeah, I. And you know what I started remembering is like, oh yeah, I used to I used to do a lot of work under Unity Seven. Like this was the desktop I took to my clients on my system, and I sat down and I used this one. Uh, this is the one I got all my work done. This is the one where I'd work on dozens of servers at once. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is a super kick-ass productive desktop environment, and it's smooth as hell. So to be fair, it's smooth as hell in 2017 with 2017 right. hardware. True. When it first came out in, like, 2010, yep. Yep. it was well, when it, it was When it first came out, it was built for netbooks. <laughs> So right, yeah. <laughs> it was like really not not a competitive product, but it got it really it really got there. Um, and you know, I I took three years off from using it. Um, when I kind of stopped using it was when the search stuff was all kind of like getting everybody all worked up about the ads and the the results and all that, the Amazon results and all that, and how it was proxied or if it was HTTPS and that whole thing was around the time I just sort of switched to GNOME anyways. And I haven't really gone back since then for any significant amount of time. And um, that stuff's all gone now. It's off by default. It's clean. You know, it's not a problem. It feels like you could have played a Richard Stallman sample at that point. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what? If my soundboard machine hadn't crashed earlier today, I would have that. I think he's up. finishing our burgers from earlier. <laughs> yeah, we did have a little Five Guys earlier today. And he does love those fries. Richard Stallman loves those Cajun fries. <laughs> I won't speak for him otherwise, though. Yeah, anyways, so I guess I've waxed poetically enough about a desktop that's eventually going to die and that nobody really wants to use anymore and has caused much political grief in the Linux ecosystem. It sounds like something that people really love listening to, so I should probably stop. But uh, I would love to have you join us. Come over to jblive.tv next week. This is the week that next week, the next episode, 222, is the one where we, where we here in the States make the daylight savings transition. Daylight savings. We're slow now. Yeah, so we're a week behind Wimpy and Popey, and uh, we will catch up to them next week. So check jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar if you're a live attendee. Remember now we have that Linux Unplugged channel yeah, yeah. in Discord. So if there's a link that gets tossed in there during the show or somebody says something, you can go back after the fact and look at it. But we'll generally try to put everything in the show notes, too, so you don't even have to worry about it. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and look for episode 222. Something else I haven't mentioned in a little while is we have a Telegram group for the community. I think you can just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash Telegram. Can you double-check that for me? You go there, and it'll forward you to our Telegram group. So I've been mentioning Discord a lot recently. I should give a plug for that. And then, last but not least, we have good old classic Reddit, 
linuxunplugged.reddit. Yep, that works just perfectly. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Check out more of Wimpy and Popey over on the Ubuntu podcast. Uh, They have uh, always a great release at about around 30 minutes, which is great. I love that. That's my new favorite podcast length these days because I get a few in there. Mm -hmm. And they always have something good going on. I think, you know, some command line love or uh, they did their Ubuntu 1710 review recently. So you can catch all of that over yeah, at Ubuntu yeah. Podcast. Halloween special coming up in two days. <laughs> really? <laughs> Ooh, spooky. <laughs> you can get more Wes Payne over at the TechSnap program. Yeah, please do. Check out him and uh, Dan breaking it down every single week on TechSnap. And you can get more beard at what? Rec.net? Yep. I love that. Me too. Is uh, it R-E-K-D? Yep. Damn, dude. That feels that's like... That's impressive. That's that's almost as good as Star Trek.sexy, which is the domain <laughs> I own and I'm the most proud of. Star Trek. Wow. If I ever launch a Star Trek show, it'll be an Easter egg. Does, I, does it just forward to JB for now? I don't... Uh, you sh- damn, it really should. I don't think... <laughs> I am an idiot. I should do that. Maybe I'm just too busy podcasting. I hope you join us for the next one. After that, maybe I'll get to that Star Trek show one day. In the meantime, I'm just going to watch some Star Trek. I've been enjoying that. I've been enjoying oh, that yeah. Star Trek, you know? We'd love to see you live next week, but if you can't, we have RSS feeds where you can subscribe to every single damn episode. You can find all of that in the show notes. Also, check out me on the Twitters. I'm at ChrisLAS. You can check out my vlog where we got a new solution for our power. Oh, yeah. YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher and the network at Jupiter Signal on the Twitters where you get announcements, news updates, and things like that. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Let's see if we can't title the son of a gun. Let's see if we can't title this. Mr. Chris. Yes, sir. That, uh, that Gen 2 compiling you were doing? Oh, shoot. I forgot all about that. We ran out of time. Well, it also scrolled up your Discord chat, so you're behind. Oh, you're right. It did. You're right. That Gen 2. That's what I get. You can't ever tell what's happening. That's what happened. Damn. That's, so the whole chat didn't move for the whole show. Look at that. Because I was busy building Gen 2. I'm beginning did- to come to the conclusion that the Gen 2 challenge is still on. But eight weeks later, you're still compiling the software. That is. So you've got something to talk this about. This week is. We've never done compiling that software. Legitimately, man. this is. That is true for this week. Every time uh, we finish compiling, there's updates of things. Yeah, new version of Chromium comes God, out. Back at it. Damn it. It's been hard to fit it in. You know, uh, uh, I, I feel bad about the chat room because uh, I had tabbed off. Uh, you know? That's what happened. Should we sometimes. interrupt you in case? Because you usually only yeah, you know, notice. Yeah. No, Grace. it's not really great to have because it sort of breaks the flow of the show for me to do that. So there's not a really great answer other than me just staying on top of it better. Really, the best answer is is to take advantage of OBS and Discord that can you know do some sort of API magic, little shake a dake, and uh, stop. So I can bring it up and do it. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah. So we don't need to be window capturing. Really, yeah. we could do it other means. It's just you know that's our old system, and we just quickly switched. Um, so what do you think, guys? How do we name this beach? You can do Bang Suggest in either, and I will check Bang Suggest in the IRC. We'll put it up on the titles page. Otherwise, I'll just search for Bang Suggest. 
Um, and uh, we're gonna have to get that Discord. fixed. Yeah, you know, we're just kind of waiting. You know, because ba- searching for bang suggests in the chat room works too, because the search is pretty damn good in Discord. That's a good point. I uninstalled in Discord maybe a few days ago. It's interesting so far. I've never used it before other than this. Oh yeah, you can also use the web app if you don't want to install an app, and it's just basically about as functional. Yeah, that's what I'm using right now. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm using as I right click, I definitely see it's HTML5 ish. Yeah, I'm using a fancy snap pack. Mutiny what? OS. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, there's also a snap of it uh, if you just want to keep it all, all put away. So is it going to be a IRC replacement? As I saw the stream, I was trying to seems find like where it, the hell yeah. is the stream chat. I don't know if it's a replacement. I'd say it's an alternative, which seems to be better suited for live production. So we still have the IRC room too, because uh, you know. There's still like you can still hang out there and chat with people. The Discord though is kind of great because we can break it out into particular shows and categories. We can do voice and chat. It supports like images and previews, which just gives some people something to look at when they're watching the video version. That is really nice. The fonts are, are easier and clearer. That is nice. Patreon integration. Patreon integration, all that shit. So it's nice for a, from a live production. But if you know you just want a basic chat, IRC still works. Um, Mutiny Roll OS. With the times, man. So something that has to talk is there a way to talk, is there a way to put the fact that we have two great guests in the show in the title? I mean that seems like the, what we should lead with because we have two. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, Ubuntu double header, mm, double fisting Ubuntu no. <laughs> Will was great. Will was great because uh, I could ask him. Oh, did you have Will on? Yeah, because we uh, we weren't around because we were recording ours because of time zones. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Will came on and um, I, I think I got some really good questions that I think it was a pre-record with Will and did, did yeah. though, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. And uh, it was, and I did that, um, what, two, I don't remember when I did that, actually, Friday? I can't remember now. Um, and uh, so I asked Will about, um, you know, like, Snap stuff and, up, you know, pissing off Upstream Gnome and things like that. And he had great answers. He just, yeah. Didn't, he just, and the good, he just really did a great job, and Did Rocks had some great stories, and I shared an anecdote that's really great. It was just really fun to talk to those guys, because they're, they're um What about Ubuntu hard workers. Inside? Ubuntu Inside? Yeah. Ubuntu A-Team. Ubuntu A team, I like that. It's not bad. That's not bad. Ubuntu A team also talk, could, does that also apply to Unity? Can we can we derive two meanings from that? Maybe. I'm really gonna get some shit for this episode, especially from all the people uh, that are running Arch, and they're really gonna hate this, aren't they? <laughs> it's they're all switched to Ubuntu okay. now. It's How about fine. The it's fine. I'm using Ubuntu. <laughs> the Diddy A team, Diddy A team. That's how you say his name, Diddy A. Yeah. I just stuck with Didrock, so I didn't fuck that up because I'm sick of that. <laughs> I had enough of that this episode. Everyone, everyone calls him Didrock's to his face. Yeah, anyway. yeah I yeah. was cursed. <laughs> this, this was the episode from hell for me.